Hey guys, I'm Rhea Fry, best-selling author, business owner, wife, mother, but most of all, I'm a human. And I'm Joe Tower, entrepreneur, producer, editor, husband, son, and I am also a human. As writers, we're always digging behind the story of publishing, ego, process, to get to the deeper truth of who we are and why we're here. While we're still pursuing that mission of the Right Way podcast, we wanted a platform where we could talk about being writers as well as being human. Now we'll be spending each episode talking with real people about real shit. This is the real story. Hi, everyone. I am so excited about today's podcast, which is a sneak peek of my upcoming book, The Other Year, which hits bookstores August 15th, 2023. And this Thursday and Friday, December 1st and 2nd, we are doing the cover reveal. I'm so excited. This cover is beautiful. It's a little different than my other books because this is a different type of book, which I will go into in detail in a moment. But the book cover reveal will be shared via my author newsletter, which is, you can join that at reafry.com, R-E-A-F-R-E-Y.com, or on my Instagram. Uh, my handle is at author. I am so thrilled to start talking about this book and sharing this book. Um, August seems like a long time away, but it is not. And I'm going to start today by just telling you the description of this book. And then I am going to read the prologue, which is very short. And it's the first time I've been able to really share anything about this book. I would love to give a little background about this book because this one is very different than my others in that it is totally inspired by my daughter, Sophie. When I wrote this, she was nine years old. And much like my debut, Not Her Daughter, where I really took aspects of Sophie for the character, the five-year-old character that I created. Um, Her name was Emma. This character (laughs) is truly a reflection of my daughter, Sophie. Um, The little girl's name in the book is Olivia. And all of her little quirks and idiosyncrasies, I really pulled directly from my daughter. I imagined the house, their Nashville house, is our house. I really envisioned kind of our lives, even though the main character, Kate Baker, is so different than me, and Olivia is different than Sophie, I really cobbled this character together from all of my favorite pieces and parts of Sophie. And I wanted to just dedicate this book to her um, because it, it was definitely the hardest book I've ever written because of the nature of the book and what happens in the book and all of the grief and all of the love and all of the joy and everything that we experience as parents, all the ups and all the downs I wanted to go deep into this subject matter, and it was really scary because I think a parent's biggest nightmare is losing their child and what their life would look like if they did and all of the things we take for granted. And I just I really wanted to ask some big questions in this book. So here's the description of the other year first. In parallel timelines, mother Kate Baker lives a life where her nine-year-old daughter drowns and another life in which she survives. Can the entire course of our lives be traced back to a single moment? On a coveted two-week beach vacation, working mom Kate Baker's nine-year-old daughter Olivia vanishes suddenly among the waves. 
a heart-dropping single moment that threatens to uproot her entire life. But in the next moment, Olivia resurfaces, joyously splashing. What would I do if she didn't come up, Kate wonders. How would I live without her? In another set of circumstances that hold a different fate, Kate doesn't have to wonder. Because in that other world, in the pulse-pounding seconds after Olivia goes under, she doesn't come back up. Told in parallel timelines, one in which Olivia lives and one in which she doesn't, readers experience Kate's life over the course of a year. In the reality that follows her daughter's death, she maneuvers through every mother's worst nightmare, from the deepest throes of grief and rage to the unfathomable question of purpose and the aftermath of such profound loss she endures day by day in a world without her daughter. In the opposite timeline, while she explores a tremulous romance with her best friend Jason, she finds herself facing a bitter custody battle with the ex-husband who abandoned Kate and Olivia years prior. Even as Kate scrambles to hold her daughter close, Olivia pulls further away. Kate feels losing custody of her daughter is the worst thing imaginable. But of course, there are different kinds of loss when it comes to the ones we love. Woven into a single story, both Kates discover a breathtaking finality to their respective journeys, bringing to light drastic polarities dire circumstances often create. The other year also unveils astonishing truths about loss and time, told with unflinching authority that will force every reader out of their comfort zone. Kate's stories examine the sharp turns any life can take in the blink of an eye ultimately issuing a challenge to live with eyes wide open. Now, it's ironic with this. <laughs> this description was written before I turned in my developmental edits. This is the first time I've read it out loud. And some of that story has changed with the bitter custody battle. There is no bitter custody battle that is totally shifted in my story. Um, but you get the gist of it. So it is a very serious story. But ultimately, it really is a very carefully crafted examination of motherhood, love, romance, joy, loss, grief, all of it. So I just wanted to read everyone here the prologue. Again, this is the first time I am reading this out loud. So here we go. The other year. Prologue. The red flag ripples in the wind. Olivia is all business, her body primed for the impending crush of waves. She squints up at me as if to ask permission. If I go in alone, will I be okay? I nod. Olivia knows her boundaries. She passed her swimming test at the YMCA three years ago, and she will stay close to shore. Other adults and children dapple the ocean like buoys. Toe-headed, brunette, shaven. It's all one nation in the arms of the sea. Olivia glances down at a half-erected sandcastle, mildly curious, then retrains her focus on the ocean. The current is strong, Liv. Just stay close, okay? We've talked extensively about how to swim parallel to shore if she is ever tugged out or gets spun up in a wave from from the undertow. I gaze at her, brown toes flexing against the pliable sand, chest aimed at the water, her defiant chin angled toward a flawless sky. I love the way she announces herself to the ocean, the respect she has for its ruthless power. While she still makes occasional comments about the salty air, the stench of fish, or the way the coarse sand scrubs her ankles, 
She adores the water as much as I do. Now she simply bobs her head, eyebrows scrunched, her mind already inside the thrashing waves that churn against the beach, receding in a froth of clotted white foam. I delight in her anticipation, wishing I'd worn my bathing suit too, but we'd come straight from the car. She'd managed to wriggle into her suit in the back seat and had been so impatient to get to the water, she hadn't even closed the car door. The first wave smacks her square in the chest. Her squeals send a swift punch of joy straight to my heart. It melts the tension from the overly long drive, the way we bickered about nothing. Mostly, she'd stayed crooked over her iPad while we waited out a horrific accident, which resulted in an extra hour of travel time. When we'd pass the hunk of disfigured steel on the highway, like some god-awful modern art installation, I told Olivia to look away. But I hadn't. I'd memorized the flattened truck, the blood splatter along the pavement, still fresh, the endless ambulances and cop cars. I am still unraveling it, hoping whoever was in that truck is okay, but also knowing that almost no one could survive a crash like that. Olivia waves. I wave back and take one picture too many as her limbs buck and dip in and out of the ocean. I send a quick photo to my best friend, Jason, who arrives tomorrow with his daughter, Ayana. He sends back a heart emoji and a quick line. I can't wait to be there with you. The sudden sexual tension between us floats through my mind. After one recent admission about what it might be like to be more than just friends, and I begin to panic. We have never crossed any physical lines, and I haven't dated since my divorce, but something has definitely shifted, and I'm nervous to see what might happen when we are alone on vacation. I text the same photo of Liv to my mom, then post one on Instagram of my own sandy feet, which my ex-husband, Michael, insisted evolved from hobbits. I smile from the memory, all the ways he used to make me laugh. The smile vanishes as I think of his text message yesterday. He's back from his trip and wants to talk. After not seeing him for over a year as he's been on an archaeology dig in Israel, I know in typical Michael fashion, he will want to jump right back into Liv's life, even though his absence has left a painful residue for both of us. Michael is either all in or completely wrapped up in his work. He's never been able to juggle being a full-time father and being an archaeologist something that has crushed me time and time again and disappointed Liv. While he's been gone, I've been rethinking our parenting arrangement. While we technically split custody, Liv lives with me. He's always on the road, always on a dig, something we used to do together before I became a mother and decided to take a new job in Nashville. Michael didn't want to move from our life in Virginia, didn't want anything to change, but he did it for me. However, once we moved, he was constantly on the road. It got to the point where I told him I didn't want a husband sometimes. I wanted him all the time, and he just couldn't make that promise to me, to live, to us. My body tenses as I replay that painful decision to separate, then eventually divorce. Becoming a single mother changed my life completely. For Michael, it has changed nothing. Now, as the water rushes over my feet, tugging and receding, I tow a sand dollar free, rinse it clean, and wag it in the air at Liv. Hold on to it for me, Mama. She wipes the salt from her eyes and dives under again. I pocket the treasure and check the time. It's our yearly tradition to order pizza and salads for dinner on our first night of vacation, and the delivery is expected in less than an hour. 
I'm eager to get to the beach house, air it out, and unpack. I stalk the sand, watching Liv float, dive, and pivot. Though this year has been tough with demanding clients and huge projects that I must oversee, I've made a vow to be a more present parent. As an agricultural engineer, so much of my career has been spent in the field, designing equipment, developing methods for land preparation, planting, and harvesting. With the promise of a promotion on the horizon, which would mean more computer work and less field work, I promised Liv I would be more available. I could sign up for PTA meetings. I could chaperone field trips and become more involved with the other moms at school. I could finally start the garden that Liv has been begging for and that I somehow have not made ample time for because I'm always so busy with work. Being more available means a lot to Liv, and I want to make her happy. I know that childhood is fleeting. Soon she will be in fifth grade. There will be boys and dances and battles between friends. I'm already witnessing her childlike traits disappear. Her identity is my little girl, transforming into someone else. I don't want time to pass us by. She erupts from the waves every few seconds, her orange long-sleeved one piece slightly too large. She is growing so fast and caught between sizes. Her crotch sags with collected sand, but surprisingly, she doesn't complain. After a year of no vacations due to my intense work demands and Michael being unable to help, this is Olivia's first, and she isn't going to waste a second of it. When my phone dings in my pocket, I answer, one eye trained on Liv while scanning for shark fins, the other on the text. It's from Michael, as if just by thinking about him, I've conjured his text. We really need to talk, Kay. Call me when you can, por favor, mi amor. I sigh. Mia Moore, though we are divorced, there is still so much love between us. I miss him. I miss us. I miss being a family. I text back a reply that we are on vacation and will connect with him when we're back in two weeks. Disgruntled, I retrain my focus back on the ocean, back to live. The waves climb and crash. Other children scream and play, tossing tiny footballs to each other or riding boogie boards on healthy waves. I search for Olivia's unruly brown curls, her bright bathing suit, that oversized rainbow on the chest. My heart seizes, and I take a step toward the water. One moment, she is there, right there. The next, she is gone. So that is the prologue of my new book. And again, though it does definitely deal with these parallel timelines and some deep, deep subject matter, At the heart of this, it's really a love story. It's a love story between mother and daughter. It's a love story. There's some, there's definitely some romance in it, but just really, really getting through some of the hardest things we think we can't manage, especially when tragedy strikes, we're often faced with a new version of ourselves and everything that we thought we knew goes completely away and we don't know how to cope and we don't know how to handle anything. So this book was really trying to answer a lot of those questions and trying to put myself in Kate Baker's position and just asking myself what I would do in that situation. Hopefully I will never have to answer that question, but this has been the only book I've ever written where I was like bawling (laughs) while I was writing. However, I really hope that 
the grief does not turn some readers off um, with that that parallel that timeline because the other timeline is really so full of joy. And I think that's life. We can't skip over the grief. We have to talk about it. We have to move through it. And I hope readers really find something beautiful here, really find something to connect to, really find a character or characters to connect to. So again, this book comes out August 15th, the cover reveal. It is happening this Thursday and Friday. Again, follow me on Instagram at author, or please sign up to my newsletter. You still have time if you sign up for it today at reafry.com. That's R-E-A-F-R-E-Y.com. And I hope you all will consider pre-ordering this book um, because it really is one of the most special stories I've ever written. Until next week. Thanks for listening to Right Way Presents The Real Story. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and comment. And for more information on The Real Story and Right Way, visit rightwayco.com.